Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Anti Culture. I'm your host, Josiah Sinanen, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. This is the third episode of my second season, which I'm super excited about. And I do apologize, it's been a few weeks since I've checked in with you all, but I am so glad to be back. I was out of the country for a couple weeks and unable to get to these episodes, and just last week when I meant to release this one, I came down with a really bad sickness, so I couldn't record anything. So you might still hear a bit of that in my voice, but here we are. And this week I have a really relevant discussion. I couldn't hold back from you any further. If you follow me on social media, you just saw that it is with a wonderful guest from the Center for Newcomers here in Calgary, Alberta. And I hope this discussion gets you guys thinking. For those who don't know, as I mentioned, my name is Josiah Sinanen, and my whole goal with this podcast, Anti-Culture, is to challenge our North American limitations on how we understand culture. Now, culture means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and having traveled a lot myself, and also coming from a mixed-race family, but being raised in Alberta, Canada, I know how complicated culture can become and how complicated it is even to just navigate your own cultural identity sometimes. I know there's many people who can relate to a similar story, and I've related to a bunch of people on this level, whether you also grew up here in Alberta, or if you grew up somewhere similar where the lines between race, culture, and national identity are often blurred. This is a discussion that needs to be had, and this week's episode is focusing a lot on immigration. If you've heard my podcast before, you know that I place immense value in stories and there are thousands upon thousands of stories of immigrant families especially here in Canada and this week's guest is not going to tell one of their stories but rather they're going to tell the experience and heart behind why we accept immigrants why we accept refugees in a country like Canada and what it means for new Canadians that come into the country every single year this is a narrative we don't hear a lot of And it's often one that has some controversy associated with it. I personally don't know this experience as an immigrant since I was born here and my mom is a multiple generation Canadian and my dad is a second generation Canadian. But I think that you'll agree with me that when we ask people questions, that is when we can really figure out why they see the world the way they do, even if we disagree with how they see the world. There's so much power in empathy and in listening and in asking those questions. And I want to challenge what you would think of someone by putting their story on display. Canada has the opportunity of really being a leader Hmm. and we are seen as a leader in the world. Um, And mostly because of our immigration policy and um, because of our openness. And I think it's really, really important that we continue to to have pride in what, um, and it doesn't matter which government, because each government says the same thing, Mm -hmm. whether it was our conservative government before or our liberal government now. But if you look at the track record in terms of bringing in immigrants and refugees, regardless of, of who we are, we, ha- mm. we hold it as a value and an important one in Canada to bring in refugees. Right. This week's guest is an incredibly inspiring individual who kind of ties our old season, which focused on Alberta, together with our new one that's a little bit more global. We're talking with Anila Umar Lee Yuen who, as I mentioned, is the CEO of the Center for Newcomers right here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Anila is incredibly down to earth for someone who was just in Avenue Magazine's Top 40 Under 40 and someone who won the Governor General's Award at only 23 years old 
for her work with youth and immigrant women in our country. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that in Anila's life. But right now, she plays a really important role at the Center for Newcomers, which is a nonprofit here in the city of Calgary that's helped over 10,000 new Calgarians with resettlement into Canadian society. For a lot of immigrants and refugees in the country that come to Calgary, the CFN is one of their first resources when they come here. Canada's role with immigration and the refugee crisis worldwide has, of course, been controversial to many, as it has been everywhere else in the world. But being a raised Albertan from an immigrant family herself, Anila has a lot of insight into the importance and role that Canada has to play. She isn't what you'd expect, and neither is the true situation with immigrants and refugees right here at home, especially if you're a skeptic. So I would encourage you to listen with open ears and enjoy this wonderful interview with Anila on Anti-Culture with Josiah Sinan. Before we get started, why don't you give a little like summary of what you're doing currently and how you got involved with your position at the Centre for Newcomers here in Calgary. Sure, I'm the Chief Executive Officer here at the Centre for Newcomers. I've been here for about two and a half years. Um, at the Centre for Newcomers, we work with um, immigrants and uh, refugees, so all newcomers uh, new to Canada. And we help them with all of their settlement and integration needs. So that could be anything from, hey, I just arrived where's my local grocery store, how do I get a job, you know, all those different kind of things, where do my kids go to school, to um, people that might be dealing with post-war trauma, um, people that require English language training, you know, so there's a wide variety and we work with uh, kids all the way from, you know, toddlers all the way to Mm -hmm. seniors. That's awesome. And what's your, what is the role of the Centre for Newcomers in the immigration refugee process? How do people discover the centre? How do they get connected? So typically it is through word of mouth or through uh, searching for us, you know, online. Um, We are very visible online through our social media and through our website. Uh, But it is a free service. It's not a mandatory service. So uh, the government can and and often does give a list of different settlement agencies in each area where people can access, but you don't need to. So a lot of it happens through word of mouth. So um, through people's cultural associations, their um, community centers, uh, places of worship, you know, all those different kinds of places. And so, yeah, being the CEO for two years here in a place like Alberta, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of progressiveness happening in our province. But I think there's still a stigma of Alberta being kind of a harder place to break into. And so what do you think? What has this revealed to you about immigration in our province that everyday Albertans might not think about? Because obviously you see a higher level of what's going on here. (laughs) <laughs> right. So, so you know, I, I think it's interesting when you look at polling data and you look at demographic data for Alberta, mm-hmm. uh, we have the youngest province in Canada. So our average age in both of our major cities in Edmonton and Calgary is about 37, mm-hmm. 36, 37 years mm-hmm. old. Right. So we're, we're very young. And we are made up of people coming from not only all over the world, but from other provinces and other places, right? right? So from, you know, the time when, you know, I was growing up, I was born and raised here. Yeah. Um, you know, we had 400, um, 400,000 Calgarians. Now we're at 1.4 million Calgarians, right. right? So when you look at that and you look at only a quarter of those people were born in Calgary, 
then we have a unique opportunity mm-hmm. to be able to really showcase our pluralism and mm-hmm. showcase our um, our understanding of the fact that people are going to come from different places. And it really is rooted in that, you know, that Western hospitality. Right. Um, a, a lot of it being because we have, you know, a 10-day carnival, 10-day festival, right. you know, called um, the Stampede, where we showcase that. But the roots of that is really on an pioneering spirit, Western hospitality and and being able to come from anywhere and be able to be entrepreneurial and succeed. For those unfamiliar with what we're talking about or those who maybe missed out on season one of this podcast, Calgary is the largest city in the Canadian province of Alberta in the west of the country. We're an entrepreneurial and multicultural city and our claim to fame in many respects is a 10-day rodeo and carnival festival of Western and ranching culture called the Calgary Stampede. It happens every July and it draws people from all over the world to our little city of 1.4 million. We'll get into more of the importance of this festival a bit later in the interview, but Anila's point is that we have a unique vantage point to be a place that represents newcomers and immigration for Canada, despite the fact that there's a bit of a reputation in our province for being a little more prejudiced than others. But I think as many Calgarians can attest to, it's a wonderful city to start in, and there's a lot of resources available to new Calgarians that definitely challenge that stereotype. In fact, it even includes a lot of our history as a city. Let's listen to more of what Anil has to say. So I think that is the kind of juxtaposition to what we stereotypically believe um, Alberta and, and Calgary is. That doesn't negate the fact that of course we do deal with uh, racism, we do deal with discrimination, we do deal with homophobia, you know, any kind of discrimination you can think of or mm-hmm. othering, you know, misogyny, we've got all of those issues that we're dealing with. And often in a very loud and proud kind of a, yeah. you know, um, unfortunate way. But um, but if you look at polling data in terms of a political party interest or in terms of social issues, mm-hmm. you'll find that most Albertans are very centrist right. in terms of their views or even borderline, you know, left in terms of being very socially progressive and I think a lot of that has to do with us being young so it it's incumbent upon all of us to really speak out against issues that we see as opposed to saying staying quiet because if you have a minority of people that are transphobic or homophobic or you know, um, xenophobic, anti, um, you know, Islamophobic, any of those things, you know, uh, racist, whatever it might be, misogynistic, and the majority of the population that at least polling data is trending towards mm-hmm. being very socially progressive, or at least, you know, centrist, then it's incumbent upon us to speak out and actually say, no, this is a minority position. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we do that very effectively in right. Alberta. So I think that the narrative ends up being that the loudest voices prevail. Mm-hmm. And I think um, we're at a detriment, not only in terms of our social progression and our ability for everyone to feel safe and included, regardless of whether you're an immigrant or anyone, mm-hmm. uh, but also in terms of our um, economic viability globally. When you're looking at, um, you know, we've seen in Canada an uptake of um, international students choosing to come to Canada hmm. as opposed to going to the United States. And we've seen this very specifically based on the new administration in the United States and some of the anti-immigrant laws and sentiments Mm -hmm. that are coming forward. Also, with the uptake of mass shootings that are happening at schools, people want their children to be safe, Mm -hmm. or people themselves want to be safe. So they're choosing Canada as a place to 
to come more so. And we've seen a large increase in the number of applications and number of international students wanting to come to right. Canada. We can leverage that much more so in terms of, of everything that Canada has to offer if the rest of us that typically you know, will stay quiet or don't necessarily participate because we think, oh, that's political or, oh, that's, mm -hmm. you know, really controversial or, oh, you know, I don't want to get into a fight with somebody or whatever, right? right? If, if we could look at it as the betterment of our society and certainly the safety of our children moving forward, right, and the next generations moving forward, mm -hmm. um, I think we can really frame that in in a way that is going to be productive for all um, all Canadians. Right. And, that, and I, I think that Alberta is really positioned being such a young province, being a vibrant province and innovative and being centered around this entrepreneurial spirit that we absolutely mm -hmm. have the ability to do that. You know, we can we could do that in so many different ways. You know, we had the Amazon bid. You know, we can increase yeah. our infrastructure in terms of IT. We already have a really great, you know, film industry mm -hmm. that we could really be able to expand and expand in many different mm -hmm. ways. But in order to do that, we have to be seen internationally yeah. as a very accepting and inclusive society. Right. And I think we need to work harder on that. What Anila just packed into one response, I think has the potential to challenge a lot of people with steady opinions on this topic. And I think it's applicable to many places around the world that welcome in immigrants and refugees every year. The reality is, there is eventually going to be a lot of people like myself and Anila who have joined Canadian society and have become Canadian by identity as the world shifts and people make their way here. So how will we, as societies worldwide, welcome in and present ourselves when the world needs us? We'll be getting into this shortly, but the reality is, Part of why every government is pro-immigration to some extent here in Canada is that it is a huge benefit to our economy. Even today in Alberta, the United Conservative Party, the province's right-wing political party, has a lot of support from immigrant groups because the party has recognized the value and importance of these members participating in civic society. The past few years, worldwide, there has been a massive influx of refugees fleeing political disaster in many countries, primarily in the Middle East and Africa, and the world has been forced to respond. If you haven't been living under a rock, you've heard stories of people stuck in shanty towns on country borders, people jumping fences into halfway zones, people dying in overcrowded boats in the Mediterranean, and many being flown overseas in masses on government planes just to find settlement here in a place like Canada. In the United States, we've heard stories of deportation and walls and even bans on certain nationalities entering the country. Of course, there's a lot of perspective and discussion on these issues, and it's a touchy subject, especially considering that many people that are in North America today are immigrants themselves, and many people have fled war-torn countries, such as the crisis that's happening now. On one hand, there is no denying, yes, there is a serious human rights problem occurring around the world right now. There are way too many people displaced and someone needs to represent them and stand up for the value that we all intrinsically have. Another perspective asks if it is us who should bear the responsibility of this issue. Should it be the responsibility of more developed countries to respond when others from countries we may not even have a diplomatic allegiance with 
have suffering individuals? I think if we were in their shoes, the answer would be obvious, but we're watching from afar and it's very hard to relate. Unless you're in the shoes of someone like Anila, who sees these people firsthand and sees the needs that they have when they come to a new place like Canada, many who did not even have a choice of their own, it's very difficult to have the empathy that we need to understand the full scope of the situation. On the other hand of things, many argue that we ought to protect the societies that we've created here in the West from the influence of foreign cultures. If people are not willing to assimilate and instead they just create micro-communities within our own society, why are we giving up our real estate and our freedoms? And is it racist to say something like that, or is there legitimate thinking behind it? We're going to jump back into our interview with Anila. She has so many profound points to make, especially given her perspective in her position at the Center for Newcomers in Calgary. But I want to hear your feedback on your opinion on the immigrant and refugee crisis, and perhaps if what Anil is saying might change your mind if you had a different opinion. Please tweet me at Josiah Podcast, comment on my Instagram, or find us on Facebook, Anticulture with Josiah Sinanin. That is this week's discussion point, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your responses from this. Definitely don't be afraid to hold back your opinions. I've talked to all sorts of people on this show, and I would be very interested to hear where you're thinking lies in terms of the immigrant and refugee situation here in Canada. Now let's get back to Anila. I think think what's really important is is the sense of belonging. I think it's really important, you know, as as a child born and raised in in Canada, in Calgary, to immigrant parents, um, as a second generation Canadian, what was really um, difficult for me growing up and many of my friends and, and often for a lot of people right now is that sense of not really belonging in either culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, um, things have changed and I see things changing. You know, um, the other day, a, f- a friend of mine, her little daughter, who's I think three, um, referred to me as the nice lady with um, with crimpy hair. Right. <laughs> so I've got curly hair. So she said crimpy hair. But you know, when I was a kid, it would have been the Indian lady right. or the dark skin lady. Right. Right. So that wasn't even um, something that she even noticed. Hmm. Right. She didn't notice. She just thought I've got curly hair. And yeah. So she's a nice lady with the crimpy hair. Right. Right. And so but growing up, it was always if I was in Canada, um, I would always be, oh, well, go talk to the Indian girl over there. Hmm. That was the easiest identifier. Mm-hmm. And when, when I was in India, it was always, oh, there's the American girl over there because they right. don't really acknowledge Canada <laughs> the same way. Right. It's changed but yeah. back then. Right. So there's the American girl over there. So, you know, and and I didn't have many role models that I could look up to mm-hmm. um, in not only in Canadian culture, but North American culture, whether that was Hollywood, whether that was, you know, American television yeah. that actually reflected me in any way, shape or form mm-hmm. that looked like me. And there weren't really many women either that I could I could do that. The women in my life that I was really attached to lived in India. Right. And they were leading, you know, in industry in India, my aunts, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, they were they were very um, well-known doctors and were leading um, over there. And it was very difficult for me. And, and that juxtaposition in terms of trying to figure out, well, will I only ever be able to exceed, succeed where I look the same as everybody else? But even there, they know I'm not them. Right. right? Yeah. So how do I, you know, succeed in a place like this? And so the idea of belonging for everyone 
is really important for me, mm. and being um, included is really important for mm. me. So um, I'd like to come towards a society where people aren't, if you happen to be, I don't know, um, a, a gay man, people aren't guessing whether you're a gay man or not because they don't care. Right. It doesn't make a difference, yeah. you know, um, and there aren't any real indicators describing what that looks yeah. like, you know. Um, and so I think... Um, those are, are that's kind of what drives me is yeah. that I don't want any, especially any child, um, growing up and not feeling like they belong mm-hmm. or feeling like they don't have a space or feeling like they don't have someone to talk to yeah. and feeling like they don't have people that they can see as role models. I'd like them to be able to see anybody on screen and identify with any character mm-hmm. trait. It doesn't need to be skin yes, color or yes. ethnicity, you know, that says, Oh, they're into art. I'm into art. Yeah. And that, yeah. therefore, that person is my role model. Yeah. Maybe that person is gender neutral or, you know, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. But they, they're not even looking at it from that perspective. And, right. and I think that that's the place that I'd like to get is for, yeah. is for young people to feel safe here, because I think that that's how we're going to create um, a community that mm-hmm. thrives. Definitely. And I think it's interesting because there's definitely a crossroads with how you described what Albertan culture is becoming, because obviously I come from a biracial background and I always had a hard time. Do I identify as Albertan? Do I identify like on this side of my family or on this side of my family? Mm -hmm. And I never felt um, like I had a cultural identifier that I could cling to. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the beauty of our province is that I can say I'm Albertan and I can say, you know, I have this diverse family background Mm -hmm. and that's part of what makes me Albertan. And I think that that puts us at a really cool position to be the leading province for that message, mm-hmm. that message mm-hmm. of belonging and inclusivity. Um, and that's amazing that you're at this crux, like with yeah. the Center for Newcomers, to really foster that culture. Um, would you say that is part of the culture of Alberta? I think so. I think yeah. much more growing, you know, so. And I, and I think that we are rooted in a history that we can be proud of, right? So, you know, growing up, you know, we were always like, oh, stampede, and oh, my God, I want to dress up like a cowboy and whatever. Yeah. But, you know, when you actually look at the history and the roots of the stampede, um, you know, it's 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 really helped me in terms of feeling that I have roots here hmm. in, in Calgary in, in the sense that, you know, the original people that started the stampede um, invited the fir- our First Nations hmm. people to come. And that was cool. illegal. Wow. And they did it anyways. Huh. And when the Indian agent, you know, I put that in quotes, and, yeah. and the, um, you know, the government said, well, no, they can't actually leave the reserve without permission. Right. Well, you know, the, the people that were creating the stampede were pretty much like, yeah, sue us. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. That's awesome. Like, um, this is important to us. And um, we're taxpayers and we have political clout. And so you know, deal with it. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. And they made an exception. And that helped to preserve Blackfoot history hmm. here in Alberta. Hmm. And, you know, that to me is a story of, um, from day one of, of our pioneers anyways, of the people that came here originally, the settlers that came here originally, really believing in community, really believing in, in you know, supporting your neighbors and really not looking at, you know, these superficial things like the color of your skin or whatever mm-hmm. else really looking at you know um how do you how do you um how are you inclusive of everyone and of course if, if we look at our first peoples that are here indigenous population mm-hmm. we know factually that they just welcomed everybody here yeah they didn't look at oh who are you and why are you here they said oh okay you're here let's share the land with you yeah. unfortunately you know um 
the tragedy is that it wasn't reciprocated in that way and it wasn't treated, you know, we know the history of, of our indigenous people and it was very shameful in terms yeah. of what happened, but they welcomed us. Yeah. And so I, I think that we have a strong, if we, if we keep to those roots, that we can build upon that and be um, and have pride in, in the good things mm-hmm. that our history has brought us and we can learn from the things that were not so good and, yeah. and can say, acknowledge them and say, yes, you know, it, it's a really great step to have the reconciliation bridge, mm-hmm. to be able to say, we're acknowledging this was not a really good part of our history. We want to move forward from this and we want to be able to do better mm-hmm. because now we know better. Canada has a very unique cultural history, one that is perhaps only now shared most similarly with Australia in terms of our relationship with the Indigenous population and our current reputation as being welcoming. If you missed season one, I would recommend giving episode five a listen where I talk to a local Indigenous young adult from Alberta whose family was directly impacted by the negative consequences of assimilation and as a result does not consider himself Albertan at all. This guest has some extreme views, but it really sheds a light on the history of Canada's relationship with others while it was working on forming its own cultural identity, which largely isn't based on a lot. This story about the stampede is one I am so glad I got on tape, as I think it illustrates a wonderful picture of the origins of the place Alberta is. Thankfully, many are coming back to this when the world needs us most, and we remember the importance of a safe place and reflect on the mistakes we may have made in the past. I believe, as humanity, we will always struggle with this, based on the entire history of our planet, but I do think we're now beginning to understand the importance of presenting ourselves in the right way at the right time. At least I hope so. Coming from multiple cultural and ethnic identifiers myself, I think the empathy we feel for humanity as a whole is becoming a lot more unified. I just got back from a two-week trip in France, Turkey, and Egypt, and it was a really amazing time away that got me thinking a lot about culture. While in Egypt, a very homogenous society with not a lot of immigration, I actually got to stay with a host that I found through Couchsurfing, which if you haven't heard of before is an actual website where you can connect with people around the world who offer their residences for free in exchange for an international visitor and the prospect of you hosting them someday if they ever come to your country. It was my first time trying it, and yes, I felt a little bit scared trying this service for the first time in a developing country like Egypt, but I am so thankful that I did. At the end of the trip, I had a truly authentic experience being hosted with a local. I was staying in a local apartment, high rise in the middle of Giza, And something that struck me is that Canada's reputation really does precede us. Maybe that's because it's true, or maybe it's because we're being compared to America at the moment. But I would say about like 76% of our conversations were more about Canada and less about Egypt. My host loved Canada. He dreams of studying there and hears wonderful things about the opportunity that exists to progress here. And he's also not afraid of racism in the way that he would be afraid of it in Europe or America, he told me. His major concern is being able to continue to be a practicing Muslim, maintain his faith community, and he was actually very shocked and encouraged to hear that even in my own city, there is a mosque. Even my friends in Paris 
dream about Canada and spill to me all the fantasies about it they've heard. And in both of these instances, my friends have learned English with hopes that they'll get to explore our side of the world one day. They look at me, this culturally ambiguous and fluently English person, desperately trying to taste distinction in these homogenous cultures, while all the while they wish they were able to live the way I did with an identifier like Canadian. It's a wonderful and strange thing, but I, for one, am so thankful that Canada has paved this path for itself in the global arena. It was fascinating for me to hear this from Anila, and I wanted to close off my time with her by sharing some personal facets of her own story, which helped paint a bit of a better picture of her own experience and how she ended up helping at the Center for Newcomers. Firstly, I want to ask a little bit about your Governor General's Award. Okay. So you won that at 23, which is the age that I am currently. Okay. So that's amazing. Sure. Um, and I also think it's hilarious that there was that comment about you peaking <laughs> yes. for the Governor General's yeah. Award. Can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> sure. Um, so I was, you know, I've been very blessed and very privileged in mm-hmm. um, having many very strong women in my life, my mother, my aunt, um, and my mother's um, very close uh, friend, um, Amal, who... Um, um, we're Muslim, so we don't actually have godparents, but she always just said that she was my godmom, so I just kind of go with that, and, you know, so she's my godmother. Um, and, um, you know, uh, very strong, involved in, in volunteering and involved in the community, um, and so led me down that path and mentored me and really helped me in there. And so I was always involved in working with um, different newcomer populations and working with, especially with refugee youth. It was really important for me to work with refugee youth because I realized really early on that um, I didn't have the same kind of resiliency they did. Hmm. And I wanted to be strong Hmm. like they were. Um, And I was coming from a place where, you know, I was like, oh, you know, they're not cool and they're whatever. And then when I realized, you know, they'd gone through war and they'd gone through all this trauma and they're still on the other side now smiling and trying to have a life, I thought, I'm not that strong and I want to be Hmm. that strong. And so I think the culmination of all that work and having a lot of really great mentors, uh, primarily women in my life, that nominated me for that award was very kind. And um, it was a second time. So in the year 2000, um, they, they started a youth award. So for under the age of 25. So they had a woman um, that received the award in 2000. And then I was the second one in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, two things stick out for me back about back then was they asked me how I felt about women getting the right to vote. Okay. You know, when, when they did and, you know, am I excited that it's been like over 50 years now that women okay. have the right to vote. And um, at 23, I wasn't as politically correct as I'd like to think I am a little bit more, you know, I think a little bit more before I talk now, just a little bit, not too much. <laughs> um, but I looked at them and I said, well, I'm Muslim and I've had the right to vote for 1400 years. <laughs> so no, not really. <laughs> and then I heard that Cherry Kingsley, who I think it was, that's her name, um, was the first woman um, who received it and she was indigenous and she pretty much said the same thing. Right. She said, no, as an indigenous woman, I've always had the right to vote. Right. So, no, didn't really. <laughs> so I was like, oh gosh, you know, two in a row. Yeah. So, you know, that was the first part. The second part was there was a gentleman, um, a husband that accompanied one of the winners and he looked at me and he said, wow, 23, eh? Like, yeah. And he said something along the lines of, huh, it's going to be pretty hard to beat that for the rest of your life. <laughs> and I remember just freaking out. Yeah. Like, I didn't say anything, but I was like, what if I never, ever do oh, anything ever again in my life? 
And it was really difficult for me. I like panicked throughout the entire thing. And now I just think that that man was a jerk. <laughs> Good. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. and, and that probably isn't an affair or a nice thing to say to anybody. Right. And, and now I realize that um, for me now, years later, I'm very grateful for the award. But I think mm. the relationships that I built and, you know, there's other things over time that have been more important to me right. than, than getting recognition. Being able to, you know, work with newcomers and being able to assist people is much more rewarding for me mm -hmm. than the reward I won. But um, back then, it, it really scared me. Can you give us like a little snapshot um, of what the current refugee immigration situation is mm -hmm. um, in Canada and then also in Alberta currently? And how would you like to see it changed? Um, what do you like about it currently? Um, what's the situation? I think globally, um, we know that um, we are in the midst of the largest humanitarian crisis in the mm -hmm. world. We have the largest number of uh, displaced people any at any time in our history. Uh, so, you know, over 60 million people are displaced currently. Mm -hmm. And we have um, large issues in terms of uh, capacity and also in terms of uh, cultural norms mm. around how we approach that, right? In Canada, we're in a very unique position because we are, we've got three oceans that are three of our borders and the other borders yeah. with the United States, right. right? So we don't necessarily see large influxes of people coming in. So we've never had to deal with with that. Mm -hmm. So when you look at you know Europe and you see these large influxes and, yeah. and people having these kind of not as um, graceful or gracious kind of uh, ways of dealing with it, um, I think it's hard to understand what that's like if um, you you haven't gone through it. Mm -hmm. And most likely we'll never go through it because we've got three very large and dangerous yeah. oceans <laughs> as uh, you know around us. But I think in, in the midst of that, Canada has the opportunity of really being a leader, mm. and we are seen as a leader in the world. Um, and mostly because of our immigration policy and um, because of our openness. And I think it's really, really important that we continue to, to have pride in what, um, and it doesn't matter which government, because each government says the same thing, mm -hmm. whether it was our conservative government before or our liberal government now. You know, they'll make comments as the official opposition, either party, right. but that's their job yeah. to keep democracy. The official right. opposition is supposed to oppose whatever the government brings in right. to keep checks and balances. So I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> to oppose anyone based on what they're saying yeah. now. But if you look at the track record in terms of bringing in immigrants and refugees, regardless of, of who we are, we, have, mm. we hold it as a value and an important one in Canada to bring in refugees. Right. Our current government is very pro um, immigrants and refugees and has done a lot of great work in doing that and we're increasing our immigration numbers so we're increasing the number of peoples that are coming in by 2020 right um, so so all of that to say and and also uh, putting that in in context of by 2036 one in two Canadians is either going to be an immigrant or a child of an immigrant so knowing that and knowing that we are in this position, I think it's really important that as Canadians, we continue to support our government and continue to ask our government to continue to bring in refugees mm -hmm. because we have the capacity mm -hmm. to do so, mm -hmm. right? We are not having enough babies. 
we just do not produce enough babies to um, for our economic growth. Right. And so we need immigration to come in. We have an or we have a humanitarian crisis right now. We can help both sides by bringing in more refugees right now. Mm-hmm. In terms of doing that, and I think we tend to forget that any time we brought in large influxes of refugees, whether that was World War II with Europeans in the 1950s, Hungarians in the 1970s, um, Vietnamese boat people in the 80s, 90s, also Vietnamese boat people, and then Iraqis and and people in the Gulf Wars, and now um, you know now with the Syrian crisis, all of that was political will brought on by Canadian citizens with an outcry. So we can continue to do that, and we can bring in more people, mm-hmm. and we'll be able to do that. I think the danger currently, right now, is the rhetoric coming out of, of people crossing over in Manitoba and Quebec and Ontario, right. where they're crossing over. They're relatively small numbers. The government is dealing with it. Mm-hmm. It's never happened before, so of course it's going to take some time and some yeah. energy and some money to ensure that it's done properly because yeah. we've never seen that before. And let's remember, it is absolutely in response to attitudes and to um, policies coming from our southern neighbors. Yeah. It is not coming from a random tweet from any one of our government officials. Right. <laughs> you know. Um, it is absolutely in response to fear yeah. in the United States over what could potentially happen to yes. people. And so based on that, we're starting to see larger numbers. In my opinion, they're not that as, you know, so large as to cause any kind of panic. Yeah. Um, I think the government is doing their best. And I think and I definitely know our colleagues, other settlement organizations in Ontario, Quebec, Manitoba are doing a phenomenal job in terms of responding and being able to assist in that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think we're going to need to come up with a policy for the border. I, I know people are working on that. But in the um, but beyond that, I think that that is not the issue, and I think we need to get away from that issue mm-hmm. and talk globally right. in terms of how many people are displaced and what our capacity really is mm-hmm. to take people in, and I think we absolutely should um, for our economic viability and also for um, the fact that we can mm-hmm. as a human as as humans. A big thank you to the Center for Newcomers here in Calgary for allowing me to record this interview with Anila. You can learn more about the Refugee and Immigration Center in Calgary at their website, centerfornewcomers.ca, that's center, R-E, at the end. Anila is also on social media, and you can follow her on Twitter at AnilaNYYC. I posted the article on Anila for her Top 40 Under 40 profile, where she gets into a bit more detail about her personal story on our Facebook page, Anti-Culture with Josiah Sinanin, so check that out if you missed it earlier. I've got a great rest of the season coming up for you, including a couple celebrity interviews and more discussion on race and culture on a global scale. If you have questions, concerns, and comments, please reach out to me. I love getting your feedback. I'm available on Twitter and Instagram at Josiah Podcast. And of course, we have our Facebook page. As always, I'm your host, Josiah Sinanin. And until next week, thank you for listening to Anti-Culture.